God be with you. Are we still doing okay? We're still here? Excellent. So it's been a couple weeks, but this morning we're going to head back into the fall sermon series that we've been doing called The Things We Wear. So slowly our coat rack is growing. And Barry, thank you for the items for today. The basic idea comes from this truth that Jesus is important not only because he shows us what God's like, but he's also important because Jesus shows us what being human is like. He shows us a very particular way of being human and alive in this world, a way connected with God, each other, and ourselves, a way that hums with reverence, a way that's caught up in how God is repairing and restoring the universe. And one of the ways that Jesus shows us how to be human is by showing us different postures, different attitudes, different dispositions that we can wear. These things that we can put on, these practices that we can have that draw us deeper and deeper into the way of life that he offers us. And so far, we've talked about rest, we've talked about hope, we've talked about gratitude and generosity, And this morning, we do one more. Um, And this one might be a bit counterintuitive for us. It might be a little awkward for us to understand how Jesus could be wanting us to put on this. But I think this is an important one because it reminds us that our faith and spirituality isn't just about our interiors. It's not just about what God is doing in here. Our faith and spirituality is also about our exteriors. It's what God is doing out there as well. And so this thing we're going to offer today can pull us into a whole other dimension and aspect of the kind of faith and spirituality that Jesus calls us to have. And so today, we're going to end up talking about a story in the Bible. We'll talk about nine out of every ten Bible translators. We'll talk about the emotion we don't like. And then I think we'll end with four questions for you to take home and think about throughout the week. Are you with me? We're good? All right, let's bow our heads and start with a prayer then, please. So God, knowing this is when you speak, knowing that this is when you take these words and you make them your own, speaking around them, through them, under them, uh, we ask that you give us each a good and hope-filled word to chew on. You know what's going on within us and around us, and may you speak. So God, do your thing. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there is a story in the Bible. Sorry, Marge, we'll move you. Make sure you can see too. You heard it already. Thank you, Sylvia. And and this one that we heard, the story we're going to rumble with, is important for all kinds of reasons. Not only does it show us a few reasons why Jesus is important, But I think it also shows us something about how we're supposed to hold the Bible. And it gives us this thing we should always think about whenever we open it up and try to read the thing. And the story that we heard takes place right at the beginning of Mark's gospel. So Jesus, he's out, he's doing his thing. 
He's teaching people about what it means to be human and alive in this world. He's introducing people to how radical and expansive and deep God's love is. He's offering a new vision for how this world can look and work, for how it should be ordered and guided by things like love and justice. And he's inviting everybody into it, asking asking them each to come and help transform this world into, into that one. And it's while he's out doing all of that, that we're told that one day a leper approaches him. Now this is where we need to pull over, because this is where it gets a little weird. What do you think of when you think of lepers? Maybe you go Jesus Christ Superstar and you think of people that are kind of all wrapped up in bandages and they're lurking about in the darkness. Maybe you think of people who suffer from, you know, the flesh-eating disease. Yeah, I think those would all be understandable thoughts. But when we we hear the word leper in the Bible, that's not what we're talking about. The disease we think of today did not exist at that time. And when we hear the word leper in the Bible, it's more a catch-all term given to anybody who is suffering any kind of skin disease, even suffering from acne. This this catch-all term given to anyone whose skin does not look normal. And if there's anything that we have to know about lepers, it's this. They were perhaps the most socially and religiously stigmatized and marginalized people. Seen as sinful and having done something to deserve this kind of punishment, and being seen as contagious, they're not only cast out of their homes and families and communities, but they're also cut off from the temple ending up in a life completely cut off from any connection to God and others. Their only hope, the only hope they would have had was to somehow be cleansed of their illness or have enough money to go and pay the priest to do this elaborate and expensive ritual that would make them cleansed. And then they could be declared healed and thereby restored into connection with God and others. But most scholars think Because the vast majority of people who would have had a skin disease probably were poor, they could not afford the ritual, so they would have ended up in lonely places, cut off from God, cut off from the families, cut off from others, forced to live in the wilderness, expected to enforce their own loneliness. When they hear someone coming up, they were supposed to yell, unclean, 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 and the person would change direction and go a different way. Not a great life, is it? And so we can get a sense of what should have happened when Jesus was going down that path and the leper heard him come up. But did the leper yell out, unclean, unclean? No. And that's the weird part of this story. The leper doesn't do this. The leper does not follow protocol. Instead of warning Jesus to stay away and get as much distance from him as he can, the leper comes right up to Jesus. And we can imagine everyone else just scattering, taking off. A leper, run, 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 get away. But Jesus, he doesn't move. He stays right there, allowing the leper to come right up to him, right up to his feet. And kneeling before Jesus, the leper begs, please, if you choose, make me clean. And here's where it gets really interesting. And here's why this passage can teach us something about how to hold the Bible. Now, can we all agree 
that the Bible did not kind of float down from the sky in a Ziploc bag? Can we agree that it is a created thing? That this is a product? That over thousands of years, people have had their hands in it, adding their ideas, nuancing the imagery, editing translations. And we have, as a result, this thing. And there's a very human voice in this, right alongside the divine. And I think that's what makes it so beautiful. But the thing is, that, and we need to know this whenever we try to pick this up and whenever we try to read it, that there are some very particular decisions being made about what kinds of words get put in the Bible. Certain theological choices are made, certain contextual choices are made that shape the kinds of words that we read. And it's on us as the readers to not just know this, but to take that into account when we read it. Doing our homework to see what kinds of other ways are being offered here. And we can get a big picture to understand just what the Bible might be saying to us when we read it. Are you with me? Maybe? Okay. And I think we can see an example of this right here at Mark 1, verse 41 with what happens next after the leper asks to be cleansed. Now, nine out of every ten Bible translators will give you the translation that we heard this morning. That the leper came up to him, asked to be cleansed, and Jesus felt compassion. He touched him, and he said, I do choose. And that's beautiful. That's amazing. Of course he had compassion. It's Jesus. We love that. It fits very nicely into the image that we know about Jesus. Jesus is compassionate, therefore God's compassionate, therefore we're supposed to be compassionate, but a bing, but a boom, we're done. What a great sermon, what a great story. What's not to love about that? But the thing is, if we're taking into account that the Bible is made, and there might be other ways to read this story, we would discover that one Bible translation does not agree with the translation of that word. That there's an outlier. That ten, a tenth translator of every ten translators choose a different word instead of compassion. They use a different word altogether. The leper came up to Jesus and asked to be healed, and Jesus became indignant and touched him. He said, I do choose. Indignation is how they translate verse 41. So our question is, why? Why do the other nine go this way and this one person go this way? Why wouldn't more translations use indignant instead of compassion? Well, we could nerd out and look at all the different reasons why that's the case. We could look at every other spot the same word is used and look at the context to see if compassion makes more sense than indignation. We could do that. Or we could just get honest and real. And maybe the reason is we don't really like an angry Jesus, do we? We prefer a compassionate Jesus, don't we? It's much, much nicer, it's meek and mild. What's not to love but an angry Jesus, an indignant Jesus? Oh, we'll take compassion over anger any day. Because, I mean, we're taught anger is a bad thing, aren't we? It's that emotion that we have that we're not supposed to like. 
We're supposed to suppress it and keep it under wraps. I mean, it's even in the Bible. As the Proverbs write, fools give full vent to their anger, but the wise bring calm in the end. And we get that, don't we? I mean, it makes sense. For those of us who have struggled with anger or those of us who have been at the receiving end of anger, we know the kind of lives and worlds that anger creates, don't we? We know the pain it causes. We know the violence it creates. We know the division it makes. We know the death it causes. And so if we know that, maybe some of us all too well, we know that anger has such a powerful energy behind it. So when faced with how to translate this first, do we really blame those nine translations for going with compassion instead of indignant? An angry Jesus just makes us far too uncomfortable. So let's go with compassion. That's safe. That's comfortable. And we could go with that. That will preach. But if we're going to do this thing seriously, if we're going to read this properly, if we're going to do our homework, if we're going to hold the Bible in the right way, we have to at least ask, what's this outlier up to? Why go with indignant? Why go the route of choosing an angry Jesus? What is that outlier wanting us to see? Well, let's go back to the story. Why do you think Jesus is indignant? Is it that the leper broke protocol and and ran up to Jesus and didn't yell unclean? Probably not. Jesus never really got upset about people breaking the rules. If anything, it kind of thrilled him. So it can't be that. Is it the leper rushed up to him and kind of made Jesus feel he might, you know, get what the leper has? Probably not. In every single other healing story we have, Jesus does not mind touching people who are thought to be contagious. Jesus doesn't mind sharing his personal space with people. He always makes room for others. So if his anger isn't directed at the leper, what's he indignant over? Well, let's go back to what Jesus is all about. As we said, he's about teaching people about what it means to be human and alive in this world. He's about introducing people to how deep and expansive God's love is. He's about offering a new vision for how this world can look and work can be ordered, a world guided by love and justice. And he's all about inviting people into that and getting down with what God is doing in this world. So if that's what he's about, if that's the kind of world that he imagines could be, if that's what he's calling people into, why do you think he's upset? What could he possibly be angry over? What does he see? He's angry. Because the world he imagines isn't what he sees in front of him. He's angry that a world exists where people have to live lives cut off from God and community. He's angry that a religion that should affirm and heal is up there dehumanizing, wounding, and exploiting people. He's angry that when people heard a leper yell out, unclean, unclean, they run away instead of towards them. He's angry that people would rather follow the rules than do what is right. 
He's indignant because that is the way it is. He's indignant at everything that forced this leper, someone with no power, no standing, and no status whatsoever, to be forced to beg for help. And so not seeing that world he imagines to be, not seeing people being called into it and feeling indignant because of it, what does he do? He heals the guy. He says, I choose. Which is to do what? He lets his anger out. He doesn't stuff it down. He doesn't avoid it. He lets his anger out. He doesn't use it in destructive, harmful, and violent ways. But instead he shows us a different way we can use our anger. He uses it in creative, healing, and loving ways. He used it to change the world. He used it to take that world that he imagined and bring that world from up here down into existence, moving it one step closer to the kind of world that he knows God wants us to have. And so why did that one Bible translator go with the angry Jesus? They saw Jesus using anger in a very different way than we're used to. Not to destroy, but to create. Not to wound, but to heal. Not to cast out, but to connect. They saw him using it in a way that doesn't create the lives and worlds that we know all too well, but instead using it to create a very different kind of world. A world where this story that we heard This story about someone being despised, kicked out, and oppressed, and having to beg for help would never happen in the first place. This outlier had the anger in Jesus because they know that our world needs our anger. It needs our anger because everything is not as it should be, is it? It needs our anger because everyone doesn't have enough and everyone doesn't have a place, do they? It needs our anger because the kind of world our faith calls us to imagine is not here yet. So they put in the angry Jesus because they needed to remind us that we too need to get angry. That we need to let our anger out and steward it in a way that's creative, that's generative, that's healing and restorative. Letting it out in a way that transforms our world into the one that we know, that we imagine it could be. So if Jesus here is offering us the clothing of indignation, if anger is something we're supposed to wear, but knowing that's awkward, knowing that's uncomfortable, knowing it's a bit counterintuitive, some questions for you. Some questions for you to take home, to think about throughout the week, maybe even write them down. And let these questions pull you into that way of life that Jesus calls us to live. So what kind of world do you imagine? With your faith in your hearts, what kind of world do you imagine this could be? What does it look like? How does it feel? What does a life full of love and worth feel like? What does it look like to you? 
And knowing that's the kind of world that you want here. Knowing that's the kind of world that you want to see in front of you. Thinking about your daily lives and relationships and families. What do you see around you? What's off? What is that should not be? And seeing that, what makes you angry? But hear a word of caution. You better make sure it's worth it. So I can imagine Jesus coming to us and saying, That makes you angry? That makes you angry? That? So what is it that makes you angry? What is it that makes you angry that Jesus would be like, yes, that makes me angry too? And so seeing what's off, seeing what does not mesh with that world your heart offers you, this is the question that you need to take home with you. What are you going to do about it? How will you steward that anger towards healing? How will you guide that energy towards reconciliation, towards connection and renewal? So how are you going to let your anger out? How are you going to steward it in the right direction to help God make this world a better place? So I encourage you to take those questions home, to wear the very uncomfortable garment of anger, knowing that God calls us to wear it, And that can be the very thing that brings the world that we imagine into existence. Amen.